Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number two of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. As always, I am your host, Robbie Owens, and I am the creator and main editor of the Average Jake Firefighter blog. Before we get started with today's topic, I just wanted to thank everybody who listened to the first episode of the podcast. I know it was a little rough. It was my first time podcasting, but uh, I think it was pretty successful. I think I'm going to continue to do this, obviously, because I'm recording an episode two. But uh, I think I'm going to continue to do this. I think it's a good medium for me. It's a good way to get information out. Uh, as I start to hit my gro- or groove and stride, I plan on having some guests. The Anchor app uh, allows to people to call in, uh, all of these things. And so I hope to have some guests, some expertise within the next couple episodes. Uh, so with that being said, just thank you. Thank you for all the support. Thank you for all the ideas. Um, this podcast is going to be posted or published, rather, on all the major podcast outlets. Uh, Anchor, the app that I use to record these podcasts, puts the podcast on Stitcher Radio, iTunes Radio, uh, anything Google Play, anything that you can use to listen to a podcast, this uh, app allows uh, it to be published on that. It takes a couple days for it to do so. But if you are a fan of what you're hearing, if you like what you're hearing, Subscribe on your favorite podcast listener. You can download the Anchor app in your uh, in your app store, uh, whichever and whatever kind of device, uh, Android or iPhone or whatever kind of device you're using, and then you can uh, listen to the Average Jake Firefighter podcast that way. Or you can just search on iTunes, search on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, all of those things, and find the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. If you like it, please subscribe, leave a review. Um, feedback is important. If I don't, uh, I don't know if I'm doing a good job unless you tell me. So with that being said, let's get on to the topic of the day. And this episode, again, episode number two, all about the 360. So as I said, this episode is all about the 360. Uh, I never thought that in the fire service these days that the 360 degree size would be something that would be generating a lot of controversy. Smoothbore versus fog, uh, transitional attack, interior attack, steam production, uh, roof ventilation. These are all things that are controversial topics. I never thought that the 360 would be something that people would consider a controversial topic. But yet here we are. We're constantly seeing people uh, talk about not doing 360s or advocating for doing 360s. We even have people out there, like my good buddy Ryan Pennington, who talks about doing a 380-degree size up in hoarding conditions. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the extra 20 degrees comes from looking at the car itself. That That's that extra 20 degrees to that 360. Because if the car is usually full of crap, the house is usually full of crap. So, but I keep hearing and hearing and hearing these things about the 360 being controversial. So I thought I'd throw my take at it because I feel the 360 is a vital thing for me on the fire ground as a company officer. So why do a 360? Why do a 360 at all? Why don't we just pull up to a fire and look at the front of it and stretch a line inside and put the fire out? Uh, there may be some merit to that, and a lot of people who argue for that are talking, or you know, talking about victim survivability. Like, you know, seconds matter. The faster we get inside, the victims are inside. Uh, the longer you stay outside, the, the less chance they have for sur- for surviving. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. However, I feel the 360 can enhance those things. Uh, so when I'm doing those 360s, I'm looking for 
uh, the location of the fire. I'm looking for uh, possible victim locations. I'm adding my tick in. I'm looking for, to do a tactical 360. I'm looking for possible hazards, okay? All of this stuff providing me information to make better decisions. Um, all of those things allow me to make a better decision. And the more information we have, the better decisions we can make. Uh, I've seen people who forego the 360 and then stretch the line and they stretch it to the wrong place because all they got was a front view of the house or they don't see that it's a two-story house on the front and three-story on the back or a single story on the front and a three-story on the back or two-story on the back and they don't bring enough hose with them. So I feel that it's vital for all of these things. So I want to talk about uh, at least, or at least with me, a fire that I had where the first in company officer didn't do a 360. He stretched the line to the seat of the fire. Well, when we were searching on the truck company, we found a victim. And so the, we found a victim in the back bedroom. And in the back bedroom, on the whole entire back side of the house, there was window bars, security bars on the windows. We went to try to remove the victim from the window because that was the most rapid way to get them out. And we couldn't do that because of the window bars there that had we known about those, we would have not even tried to vent the windows or had we known about them on the 360, the truck driver, the guy riding the truck chauffeur would have gone immediately to the back, cut those window bars off and we would have had an unimpeded exit point for the victim. So that's why the 360 is important. That's why we should do it. So I want to talk about how I do a 360. And I think that's important to give you some context because everybody is going to have a little bit of different things that they do. And I don't want to talk about stuff that other people do. I want to talk about things that I do. I want to talk about things that I do on a daily basis as an engine company officer or a truck company officer or acting battalion chief or any of those things that I do on the fire ground. So first things first, what am I looking for on a 360? I'm looking for the four B's of the 360. And I call those burning, bombs, bodies, and a basement. So let's break down each one of these B's of that 360. So the first one, the first B of the 360, burning. That's anything to do with combustion, fire, anything like that. I'm reading smoke, okay? When I do that 360 degree size up, I'm reading smoke. I'm reading fire. I'm looking to see where the fire has been, where it is going, and I'm looking to see what kind of impact it's having on the construction in the building. Okay, that's going to help me in a lot of ways. So why does that even matter? Well, it helps me stretch the hand line in the right place. It also helps me prioritize search, i.e., this room's fully involved. There's probably no one alive in that room, but the room that's got three-dimensional smoke but not under pressure just yet, that's probably my search location, or it helps me prioritize how I'm going to search that building. What's the most logical entry point? Maybe the front door, and I know a lot of people argue about this, maybe the front door isn't the fastest way to get that hose line to the seat of the fire. Maybe the front door isn't the fastest way to initiate that search. If I've got two hose lines going in the front door, why do I want to try to trample over them to get into the building and do the search? Go around the backside, and then that way you can have a faster path into those locations. It's just some of the things I'm thinking about when I'm looking at that B, that burning. The next B in the 360 is bombs. That's anything that can hurt us. 
and I'm talking anything that can hurt us. Uh, I'm looking at the building is make sure it's not like showing signs of collapse. Looking at the roof, make sure it's showing signs of collapse. I'm looking for down power lines. Uh, I'm looking for pressurized cylinders on the backside, propane tanks. I'm looking for fuel tanks. Here in Virginia, we still have a lot of, and in fact, they don't allow us to put underground uh, fuel oil tanks in the ground anymore. So we have a lot of above ground fuel tanks for furnaces, oil furnaces. So that could be a big problem if a fire impinges upon that. I want to know about that. Uh, I want to know if there's a dog in the backyard. That's kind of the hidden B of the 360, big ass dog. Uh, but, you know, we, we, I laugh about it, but it's true. How many times have you walked around a fence and seen four Rottweilers staring you in the face? They don't want you coming back there. So companies operating on the fire ground need to know about that. That could impede our speed of getting into the building. That could impede your truck company from laddering the backside of the building when you're stretching up the stairs to the back bedroom to put a fire out. So that's what I'm looking for when it comes to bombs. Anything that can hurt us, anything that can, that, that's a hazard on the fire ground. Uh, the next one, I'm looking for bodies. Now, I have been in these situations before where in one of the very first fatal fires that I, that I ran as a young volunteer was a fire where the mom and dad evacuated out the back door and the son evacuated out the front door. Well, he didn't see mom and dad in the backyard. He thought they were still inside. He went back in to get them and he died. Um, so that's important. That's especially important if you're trying to gather information about where the victims are. You ask that homeowner, that reputable person. Again, I don't believe in listening to neighbors when they tell me a house is out. If you don't live there, uh, I don't take your information very seriously. And even if you do live there, I'm still going to search the building anyway. Uh, I just am going to listen to what you have to say. You know, the house, you know, who lives here with you, you or you should. And, uh, you should be able to provide some better information. But uh, so there have been victims that have jumped out the backside of houses and laying in the backyard and need help. And if you don't do a 360, you'll never find them. That is one of the fallacies of all the victims are inside. That's garbage. Okay. Now, a lot of the victims are inside. A whole lot of the victims are inside. I would say 95% of the victims are inside. But there are people that jump out the back door. There are people that evacuate out the back door that are burned. And if you don't do the 360, who knows when someone's going to find it? Maybe that ladder driver who's the second in ladder driver finally goes around to the backside to secure the gas or to throw a ladder and they find someone laying in the yard. So that's one of the things I'm looking for. I'm looking for those potential victim locations. Where's the bedroom? Where's the stairway? Where are the entry and exit doors? Because as we know, uh, if you go to firefighterrescues.com, a lot of people are found in the exit, in egress and egresses. So if I see that door, maybe I can assign that truck company to go into side C. Or maybe I can just, as I'm doing my 360, if it's unlocked, pop it open real quick, look and see if I see someone. But if I don't go back there, if I don't see that side door, I don't see that exit, that rear exit door, I may not see that fire's impinging on this bedroom. I may not see these other potential victim locations by just running in and going into the seat of the fire. Uh, the last one's a basement. So that's the last B of the four Bs of the 360 is basement. Now, basement means any kind of sublevel. Uh, you know, some places have basements. Some places have cellars. The difference in a basement and a cellar is that a basement has windows. A cellar doesn't. But any kind of, of sublevel in these places is a big deal. Fire can hide down there. Victims can hide down there. 
you stretch in on the, what you think's the first floor, and there's a complete sublevel underneath you, and the weight of firefighters and the weight of water can cause a building collapse, especially if it's impinged by fire. So we need to make sure we're assessing uh, any kind of smoke, fire, by a burning conditions, any kind of potential victim locations in these sublevels. So again, just to recap, the four Bs of the 360, burning, bombs, bodies, and basement. Those are the things that I am looking for. And again, it's, I don't necessarily think it's an acronym, but I guess it is. To me, it's just something to prioritize what I'm looking for, and it helps me remember it at 2 o'clock in the morning. I know there's a lot of acronym haters out there, and that's okay. You don't have to like acronyms. You don't have to use acronyms. This helps me at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to prioritize what I'm doing. Uh, so now that I've told you what I'm looking at for a 360, now we're going to talk about how we do it. So on a small structure, and I say small structure, we're talking residential style structures, you know, two, three story homes, uh, even McMansions. Some of them are small enough that you can walk around them. Uh, ranchers, you know, small like bungalow style houses, whatever you have, any usually residential ones, you can walk around. And a lot of people to ask me all the time, and I've had this discussion all the time, Robbie, why do you need to walk around? You should see three sides of the building because your engine should be pulling long. That may work for some people. I can tell you straight up honestly, the only time the pulling long thing works for me and I get that view of the three sides of the building is if the building is on the side of the fire truck that I'm riding. Just yesterday, working my shift, we went to a uh, townhouse fire, or not a townhouse fire, but a, a possible fire in a townhouse. It turned out to just be food on a stove. And the ha- townhouse was on the driver's side. And it just made sense for that. It, you know, There was no other route of approach. We went in the only way you could get in there. I had to ask him if it was a one or two story and if there was anything showing. I couldn't see it. Okay, As he's passing it to go get to the hydrant, I couldn't see it. So I can't, I'm in my air pack, I've got my gear on, I can't look past him over his shoulder through the rig out the back window. It just doesn't, my fire truck isn't set up like that. I cannot see, I don't get a good enough view when I pull past those three-sided views. I miss things. Even when it's on my side, I miss some things. I get a better view, but even when it's on my side, I don't see it well enough to be 100% confident to, to make a decision based on that. It just doesn't work for me. So for these houses, I'm going to walk around them. I'm going to go in that clockwise motion, start at A, go to B, go to C, go to D. It doesn't take that long. After I'm done with that, I'm going to give the radio report. It would sound something like this. Command radio 360 is complete. We have smoke and fire showing from all four sides. I have no occupant accountability. We'll be operating in the rescue mode. It's that simple. It's that simple. That gives a pretty good picture to the units coming in that we've got a fire, we're going in rescue mode because we don't know where any victims are or we haven't been told everyone's out, so we're going to go in and, and perform an aggressive search. Everybody, Everybody's hands are on deck when they arrive. It doesn't take that long. It really doesn't. Now, people always say, too, well, that's great. That works for a residential house. What about a townhouse? What about these row houses? Okay, well... You can do a couple different things there. To me, if it's on fire, I'm going to search those uh, exposure occupancies as well. So I have no problem with 
forcing the door to the fire to the next door to the fire building and walking through that apartment to the backside to take a look at it, or walking through that row house rather or townhouse to take a look at the backside. I have no problem with that. Companies are going to get in there anyway. Okay, if it's unlocked, even better. I just open the door and walk through, walk to the back door, and then that actually gives me even more information because as I'm walking through there to get to the backside to see what's going on, I can assess the smoke in that occupancy. So that even gives me more information on how quick do I need to get a company in that adjacent uh, or exposure occupancy as I'm going to the back. I can get more information about that. So if it's on fire, I don't see any problem. Now, obviously, you would have to reference your department's SOGs on forcible entry, anything like that. But I don't see any problem with forcing that door next door, walking through that apartment, especially if it's on fire. You pull up and smoke's coming from the fire apartment or from the fire, uh, from the, uh, fire building in that townhouse structure. And, okay, we're going to probably, we're going to search these adjacent occupancies anyway. Force the door, walk through it, look at the backside, come back through, determine where you're going to stretch your line, and go to work doesn't really have to be that big of a deal. It doesn't have to be this grand, you know, walk around of the entire line of townhomes. Uh, you know, that's fine. Also, and, and uh, granted, to preface that, I work in a suburban slash urban department. Uh, we have suburban areas uh, more toward our west end. And we have where I work is more of an urban area. So we ha- to say that we have staffing. Um, I'm getting four, five, maybe even six engine companies on a fire and two ladder companies and two battalion chiefs and two ambulances and an EMS supervisor and all of these resources. So if it's not on fire, I can send another company to the back. I can send the chief to the back and he can do it in his car. Or when he gets there, he can just do a quick 360 before he establishes the command post. I have those options. I can have the fourth do engine just run to the back real quick, or the second do truck, just run to the back real quick. For those that don't, for those that don't, you can, uh, you can have other resources. Like I said, you can have that next do company, or you can have just the driver real quick. Once he, uh, once you get the line stretched and he charges it, have him run to the back and then run and then run back to the rig. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that in low manpower situations, the driver shouldn't be married to the rig. Once he gets the line established, but we're going to go in on tank water anyway. Once he gets the line charged and we've got tank water going, let him run to the back real quick, give you a radio report, and then run around to the backside. Now he can finish es- establishing his water supply. So there are a ton, a ton, a ton of options. Uh, for a large occupancy, and I'm talking about Big box stores. I'm talking about your Walmarts, your Targets, your uh, your big wholesale stores around here uh, that we call them. Uh, they're a store called BJ's. Uh, they may be in your location wherever you're listening from. But these places, I drive around them in the fire truck. And here's the advantage: is that even if it's on fire, I drive around it in the fire truck to do my 360. And I'll tell you why. And here's a couple reasons. One. It's obviously faster. I'm in the fire truck. I call it a motorized 360. I drive around it. It's faster. I can see the whole building. Now I have, at least with me, I have the driver, the firefighter, and myself all looking at the building. 
So I'm getting two extra sets of eyes to capture information that maybe I don't see. Also, it allows me to bullseye my launching point. So I don't want to stretch my line from the front of Walmart to the back of Walmart, okay? That's not going to be good. That's not going to be good. We're going to have to go through all the rack storage. We're going to have to go down these long aisles. When if I just do the 360 first, I can nail my deployment from maybe a loading dock door, maybe a side door. Okay, plus that gives me the ability to see how many people have evacuated. When I drive around that entire building, I can say, oh man, this place is pretty well evacuated. We probably don't have a high search profile or high search priority or rescue profile uh, inside this occupancy because all these people are standing outside. That's not to say that no one is still inside and we're still going to do our very best to search this large occupancy uh, as efficiently as we can, but but that gives me more information. That gives me more information. It gives me better information so I can make a better decision doing that motorized 360. If you don't want to do it from the engine company perspective, have the battalion chief do it. Before he establishes that command post, have him ride around the big box structure. Have him ride around. Do that motorized 360. Okay, That will help you. It allows you to bullseye your launching point. It allows you to gather better information. Okay, So that motorized 360. Again, so that's how... We're doing the 360s. That's how I'm doing the 360s. Uh, you know, when I ride up on the battalion car, I ride around the building. When I ride in the engine company, I ride around that building. If I'm at a small house, I get out and I walk around that building or I assign it to somebody. I think not doing these 360s are going to hurt you in the long run. Okay. Again, I already told the story about how we found a victim in a back bedroom and went to remove that victim, and there were window bars. Okay, that made that victim removal. If everybody's worried about victim survivability, and they're inside, and we got to go in there and get them out as fast as possible, well, me dragging the victim back through the house isn't getting them out as fast as possible. Me being able to take that window and throw them out the window to somebody waiting there as fast as possible, but I couldn't do that because... The window bars were on the back side of the house because someone didn't identify them on a 360. And it could have been anybody. It was, you know, usually in my fire department, it's the first due company officer. That's their job is they mark on scene, they give an initial size up, they go do a 360, and then they announce their operational mode and if it's a working fire or not. Uh, that's fine. That works for us. You don't have to do that model. However, somebody has got to go back there to tell us what they see. We are missing a big piece of the picture if we don't do the walk around. It's that simple. And you are going to lose pieces of information that are going to help you make a better decision and possibly save a civilian's life. Information is key on the fire ground. It's kind of funny that we like to compare ourselves to the military uh, you know, like we want to be, you know, the rescue company guys always, you know, like to talk about how they're the Navy SEALs of the fire service. We'll kind of put that into perspective a little bit. Would the military go and do an operation on ground that they had never, ever seen before, had done no recon, no survey, and against an enemy they knew nothing about? 
Absolutely not, they wouldn't. They'd think you're crazy. Do you know the months and or weeks and months of planning that goes into military operations? These things aren't usually just fly by night. They are calculated and they are planned. Yes, of course, they're executed very well by professionals. And there are some things that you can't plan for. I totally understand that. I get that. However, the military would think we're crazy, but yet we do it every day. There are fire departments all over the world that are executing missions, high-risk uh, high risk missions that we have no information about. Now, part of that because of the nature of our job. Obviously, we can't plan for every fire. But when we get there, it is our job to gather as much information as we can in that compressed time frame and then take that, make a good decision, and go to work. If you are foregoing a critical piece of that information gathering, then you're not going to make the best decision that you could possibly make. It's impossible to. So information is key. We work in a dynamic environment. We need to allow time to gather that information. And I'm not saying take 10 minutes and talk about it and see if there's a, a quorum so that you can all vote yay or nay, We should we go into this building? I'm, ta- I'm saying take the 30 seconds to a minute that it takes to run around this building Gather the information on the fire, gather the information on the victim locations, gather the information on any hazards, report them to the companies coming in, and then go to work. Get in there, put the fire out, or transitional attack, or whatever. Put water on the fire as fast as possible. That's what I want. And in order to do that, I feel the 360 is critical to it. The 360 is critical to it. Additionally, If you have thermal imaging cameras, it's 2018, but there are still fire departments out there that don't have thermal imaging cameras or they don't have uh, functional, what I call functional thermal imaging cameras. Those original, like what I called the brick on a stick, bullard cameras, they were cool, but they were not functional. They were bulky. They were heavy. They were very tough to use. The ones that are coming out with it uh, these days, the T3s, T4s, they're light, they're usable. There's no excuse to not carry them with you on these 360s and into these buildings. When you're doing your 360, throw the tick on the building too. Run to the side, scan it with the tick. Run to the back, scan it with the tick. Run to the side, scan it with the tick. Come to the front, scan it with the tick. Go. Maybe before you even make entry, give that nozzle guy a 5 to 10 second look at the tick through the front door so that he can get the layout of the building. Maybe that'll help him make that hose stretch that much faster, get to the seat of the fire that much faster. But I can guarantee it'll allow that company officer to truly know where the heat is and to be able to see those survivable spaces. You can assess those things from those and it, from the outside of the building. Yes, the tick cannot penetrate glass, but it can see the heat change. It can see the wood pieces on the outside of the window, uh, the windowsills, those type things heating up or not heating up. You can see where the uh, temperature, you can, now granted, spot temperature, not 100% accurate, but you can see the temperature changes. It's going to tell you the difference uh, or give you a good idea about how hot it really is in that building, where the heat is, where you need the bullseye, and it's going to show you where your potential victim locations are, where you possibly need to bullseye your search first. You can relay that information to a truck company, you know, something like, Command to truck six, uh, be advised on side C, the bedroom looks really, really hot and the fire is in the room next door to it. Start your search there. 
What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? That's a quick 20-second radio call, and that truck company can maybe VES that window. They can just beat feet up the stairs behind the protection of the hand line that you're hopefully stretching in there. They can do all sorts of things like that, but not if we don't have the information to feed them. To me, information is the key to this whole thing. If you want to learn more about tactical thermal imaging, then make sure you go to uh, look up anything Andy Starnes has done uh, with Insight Training and Kill the Flashover. He is the guru of tactical thermal imaging. Go take his class. uh, Just get on his website and call him. He will talk to you for hours about tactical thermal imaging and the things that he has discovered through his thermography training, through the uh, research and real fires he's been to. Uh, he He will give you tons and tons and tons of information. So guys, just to kind of start wrapping up the whole theme of it, the 360 is important. I don't think it's something we should be foregoing. Now, does the company, the first and company officer have to do it? I think it helps, but somebody has got to do that 360. We have to get the picture uh, of what we're dealing with. We have to. We cannot make the best decision possible with no or limited information. Sometimes we have to do what we have to do. We have to adapt, we have to overcome, and when we have to act and have to make a decision. That's the difference in a citizen's life or death. But I can make a better decision if I know what I'm dealing with all the way around. If you go on the website, averagejakefirefighter.com, you can see an article I wrote about prioritize and execute about a fire where we were in a minimal manpower situation, and it talks about why I elected to do the 360 first, even though I I could kind of tell where the fire was, but I wanted to make sure so that I could make the best decision possible, especially when we were possibly in a rescue mode situation. So go to the website, averagejakefirefighter.com, and look up that article. You can do a search bar. There's a search menu at the top. You can do a, uh, a search for prioritize and execute, and it'll talk about it'll talk about how uh, I, how and why I elected to do that 360 first. Um, so that's all that I've got for this episode. Remember, you're listening to episode two of the Average Jake Firefighter blog. And uh, as I end it down, as I wind it down, I just want to give a shout out to some of the people who have been supporters of me, supporters of me taking on this venture, and supporters of just, uh, again, me in general, the blog in general, and just my journey in the fire service. Uh, Those companies are Vanguard Safety Wear. Vanguard Safety Wear is the maker of the MK1 Fire Glove. And guys, just so you know, I don't plug anything that I don't use myself. I've been using the uh, Vanguard MK1 since FDIC, been training in them, been teaching recruits in them, have had a couple, uh, you know, not all the way fires, but decent calls where I've gotten to use them. And I can tell you, those gloves are like they say, they're made for work. So if you're interested in the Vanguard MK1 or any of the other products that Vanguard Safety Wear is uh, offering, make sure you go to VanguardSafetyWear.com. Also, proud to announce that I'm a brand ambassador with Fire and Iron Clothing. Fire and Iron Clothing is a public safety clothing company that was designed by a firefighter to motivate and inspire other public safety workers to get in shape. It's a great, not only a great company with a great mission, but the clothes are great too. They're comfy, they're greatly made, and they're just some of the best stuff that I've worn. Uh, I've got a couple shirts and a hat. If you want to get some Fire and Iron Clothing, 
go to www.fireandironclothing.com. And since I'm a brand ambassador, you can use the code AVGJAKE. That's Average Jake. And uh, they may give you a little bit of a discount. And uh, it'll let them know that you've been listening to the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. It'll let them know that I sent you there. And it'll let you know that you're a supporter of their mission. So make sure you go to fireandironclothing.com. Lastly, just to tell everybody, uh, again, remind everyone, I'm on Twitter at AverageJakeFF. I'm on Instagram at AverageJake Firefighter or AverageJakeFF. Also the blog, www.averagejakefirefighter.com. If you have any sort of feedback, anything at all, private message me, follow me on Twitter, uh, message me through the website, uh, leave me a note on uh, in the review section, subscribe to iTunes. If you liked what you're hearing, write a review, share these podcasts with your crew. Uh, hopefully this is something that's been inspiring, inspiring you. Uh, just the information sharing and just the feedback I got from the first episode has inspired me to continue to do this, continue to fight for the fire service that I want to see and continue to spread just my message or take on the fire service. It's something that I got involved with a while ago. I felt like I had something to say, and this gives me a better medium to try and push those things out there. So again, thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day. Stay safe out there and make sure you're spending one hour in the gym every day working out one hour in the library, reading or watching videos about our, our job, learning something about our job, and one hour doing some sort of hands-on training. You do that, you'll become a pretty phenomenal firefighter, I guarantee it. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm out.